I will feast at the table of the Lord. I will feast at the table of the Lord. I won't hunger anymore. Welcome to the table. You are listening to the Kingstown Communion podcast with lead pastor Michelle Matthews. The Kingstown Communion is a new United Methodist Church existing to gather people into communion with Jesus Christ through courageous conversation, creative community, and collaborating for the common good. For more information about upcoming events and opportunities to serve, visit our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash Kingstown Communion. We're glad that you're listening along with us. If you live close by, we hope you'll join us for worship in person. And if you ever feel so inclined to help us by giving financially, you can do so on our website, kingstowncommunion.net. Well, as this general rule, I don't recycle sermons. Maybe you have had pastors who do. I've I've been told a few times as I've approached my my due date, (laughs) why don't you just use an old sermon, Michelle? Like use an old sermon or two and call it a day. We all do it. Feel free. I just don't like to do it. (laughs) Have you ever had a pastor before who like predictably recycles sermons, like you can time it. It's, it's clockwork every three years or so, you know, it, you know, it's coming. They're just gonna push play again. (laughs) Take advantage of the Sunday off. I had one colleague in seminary who celebrated his first complete lap through the Christian lectionary the lectionary is this like list of readings broken up over three years. And the idea is that we read through the whole Bible, generally speaking, in three years. I had this friend in seminary who, who celebrated his first time all the way through the lectionary because he said it meant that he would never have to write a sermon ever again. I just can't do that. I just get bored with myself. <laughs> if I get bored with myself, I can't imagine what you feel. There has got to be something more that this text says. When I preach a sermon, I feel like there's just not much left in it after I've given it. There's not much left in me. There's not much left in the sermon after after I've given it, and it's just kind of burned up after that. It's ashes now, and I don't know how to resurrect that. Not to mention that by the time we come back to the text three years later, I'm like a different person, right? You're a different person. We as a community, we're a different community. We're in a different place. And the word has got to say something else. It's got to say something new for us, right? I've moved on. We've moved on. And scripture's given us another comment on what life looks like today. 
And so in preparation for this sermon this week, I was going through my normal preparation process. And part of that is to see when was the last time I preached this text? I I read and I study and I, I do all the stuff, but I also see when was the last time you all heard this? And it dawned on me that we actually haven't moved on much since the last time we read this text. We haven't changed much. I last preached this text about three years ago, a little less than three years ago. It wasn't during Lent, but it was about three years ago. And it was without a doubt one of the top five sermons I have preached that has caused the most comment afterwards from you all. I emailed the manuscript of that sermon out more than any sermon I've ever preached. It, it set up more one-on-one conversations that sparked many more referrals into counseling after I preached that sermon. And despite all of that, we haven't moved on much since I first preached it. In fact, if anything, we, we've moved sort of in the wrong direction. Three years ago, when, when we were gathered in person at Island Creek, I, I told you if the CDC's statistics were correct, these days we only talk about the CDC as it relates to COVID, they do more than that. <laughs> if the CDC's statistics were correct, two people in your row that Sunday morning were struggling with depression. Three years later, if we were actually ordered in rows this morning, today, you could move that number up to three. Odds are almost three people, and my husband is the statistician, I don't know how you get almost three people. (laughs) It's three people, right? Almost three people, but two point something people out of 20 are struggling with major depression, major depression. And another four out of that same 20 are struggling with minor depression, dysthymia, which, which means that seven out of 20 people are depressed right now to some degree. And that's, that's more than it was the last time I preached this gospel lesson. And these stats, they don't even begin to take into account the toll of a pandemic. Just to remind you, we're not, we're not talking about just sadness or just having a bad day. That's, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about feelings of sadness or anxiety that last for weeks at a time that are marked by feelings of hopelessness and pessimism, guilt and worthlessness and helplessness, irritability and restlessness, loss of interest in activities or hobbies that once were pleasurable, fatigue and decreased energy, difficulty concentrating, difficulty remembering details and making decisions, insomnia, early morning wakefulness or excessive sleeping, overeating or or appetite loss or thoughts of suicide. Seven out of every 20, seven out of 20 of us today are carrying that baggage right now. If If it's not you, It's someone you're living with. It's someone you're working with. It's someone you're worshiping with. And 
any other affliction, any other affliction on this magnitude would be classified as a pandemic. We know this now. One year ago, this COVID-19 virus was declared a pandemic. On any other, any other affliction of this magnitude would be declared a pandemic. Women are, are twice as likely to struggle with depression than men. Older people in our congregation, senior citizens, are, are three times more likely to struggle with depression than, than, than their younger counterparts. And despite that kind of widespread that everybody knows somebody struggling with this, despite that, only 29% of people experiencing depression on some scale actually ever seek help. Can you, can you imagine if only 29% of cancer patients sought help? Can you imagine the death toll of the last year if only 29% of symptomatic COVID-infected people sought help? And there's this stigma that somehow we, we think it's a personality flaw or there's got to be something wrong with you. Come on, just snap out of it. Just cheer up. It's hard to be depressed in our culture. And it's hard being depressed in church. Church people say the stupidest things as it relates to depression. Just have faith. Just believe in God. And it's all going to lift. And it takes such a toll on your interior life and your faith. And when, when you're, you're barely able to pick up your head and, and you come to church and all they talk about at church is, is God and how God is love and God's going to give you happiness and you can find joy in God. And if that's where, where God is, then, then, then God must be nowhere near where I am. And you wonder if there's a God or if God is even worth believing in at all. It snowballs. This is how depression works. You lose self-confidence, and so you feel like you're less energetic to do things. And so you do less things, which makes you feel worth less. And then you don't really feel like eating anymore, or all you feel like doing is eating and before long, it can happen to any of us. Before long, link after link in this chain, demons keep you up at night, popping thoughts and notions in your head. And over weeks and months and years, and you feel yourself weighed down and you're bent over. And it's just this, this crippling spirit. And what I, what I shared three years ago was that over a quarter of us carry the spirit, over a third of us now carry it. And we have no idea how the isolation of a pandemic has increased those numbers. And so here we are, friends, again, with this text today. Jesus, in our gospel reading, meets a woman who Luke says has been bent over for almost two decades with a crippling spirit. For 18 years, this woman has been walking around bent over. She can't lift her head. All she can do is walk around looking at her feet because it's just too painful to look up and to look around. She can't, 
She can't look at other people. She can't look at God. She, she can only see the dirt that is right in front of her feet. Now, you, be, you may be thinking that you do not fall within this one-fourth of the congregation. Three years ago, that you don't fall in the one-third, we're saying, are gathered today experiencing some level of depression right now. But I would venture a guess that since March of 2020, when our worlds got turned upside down, that you have known this crippling spirit. That at times you have only been able to see the dirt in front of your feet. I wonder. Jesus in our gospel reading meets this woman who has been bent over towards the ground for 18 years by this crippling spirit. And, and what does Jesus do? It says that Jesus sees her. Jesus then calls her by name. Jesus comes over to her and he lays hands on her. And she straightens up and celebrates and then dances off stage. If you're watching Luke's movie, by the way, it's a silent movie, silent version, because Luke was written a long time ago and they didn't have that kind of technology yet. If you're watching Luke's silent movie this morning, it would look like this is a healing story. This woman bent over who can hardly walk is met by Jesus and he lays hands on her and she straightens up and she dances off stage. And, and we would think that this is a healing story, that the good news is that Jesus says, not today, Satan, and casts out this crippling spirit, demonstrating that God can heal your physical ailments, that God will cure your cancer and you'll never know the heartache of a family member or friend dying from COVID. But Luke begs to differ. He says quite clearly that what this woman has, what is crippling this woman is a pneumoastemia, this crippling spirit, a spirit that has bent this woman's spirit so much that she can't stand up. She, she can't see the next step to take. She can't see beyond the dirt. And we don't know what it was that brought her to this point. We don't know. Did, did she lose a, a parent unexpectedly to a debilitating virus? Did she feel the weight of the world was on her to care and tend to her spouse who was sick? Did she feel the guilt of not being able to stand one more second with her children and her house anymore? Did she know financial distress and the expectation to keep up appearances that, that's suffocating her? Was she completely isolated from all her family and friends? Did she lose a love? Did she feel trapped and want out, out of relationship, out of responsibility, out of this life? We don't know. 
We don't know what bent her spirit. It may, it may not have been situational either, right? Maybe her very genes were bent, bent toward depression. Maybe she inherited this from her parents and then from their parents and then from their parents. But what we do know from Luke's account is that Satan, Satan, shows up as this crippling spirit. And by the time we meet this woman, she is so debilitated by this demon that she is bent fully over. And Luke says that Jesus sees her. Notice that. Salvation breaks in, not because she sees God, but because God sees her. God sees her in her afflictions, in her loss, and in her numbness, and in her distance, and in her shame, and in her fear. God calls her. And God lays hands on her, and for the first time, she feels like she can breathe, and and it looks like dancing. For the first time in 18 years, or for the first time since March 2020, or for the first time since mom died, or for the first time since the diagnosis or the heartache, she feels like she might be able to breathe again, that life might be worth something again. For the first time, it might be actually worth it to look up. She might actually have the strength to do so, to see other people eye to eye and to see her own reflection in their eyes and that they might see her for who she is. She can breathe. This is is the part of Luke's silent movie where she dances off stage, right? just breathing, looks like, feels like, dancing. This is not a story, as I said, about how how God heals. And and it's it's also not, not a story about how God rescues people from Satan, from that crippling spirit. This, friends, is is really a story about what God wants. Because all throughout Luke's gospel, we realize that when Jesus shows up, God finally gets what God wants. And that's the gospel. That the story is that God wants all of us healed and whole and alive and standing up and ready to receive life as God intended it for us. That's God's desire. And and how does God describe this process of, of God getting what God wants? What does it look like when we are, are, are straightening up and bending back into what God has intended for us? What does that look like? All throughout scripture, starting with the prophet Jeremiah, God describes this key image of a potter and clay. That's God's favorite way to describe us as clay. Did you know that? We're we're not stone. 
We're not immovable, impenetrable, and we're not water. We're not sort of formless. God says we're clay, we're, we're, we're malleable. The forces around us and within us, they shape us, scripture says. And, and God is the potter and we are the clay. And that's how God confronting that crippling spirit that bends us in half, heals us and ultimately gets what God wants for us. God molds us, continually shaping us over and over and over again to come alive and to stand up fully erect to receive life. God is that force that is continually at work in yours and my life and in the world, bending us back towards life. God, the force of good. That force of good is continuously molding us back towards the image of life as we, as we talk to our confirmands as, as tov, as it should be, who we were made to be. And we, we want the quick fix. We want the quick fix. We want to just come on stage and Luke's silent movie and have God zap us and then we dance off. But God says we're not like that. We're not like that. We're clay. And God's, God's not like that either. If, if we're clay, then God is the potter. God's the potter and God's in it for the long haul. Clay is not quick to mold. And God knows that there are, are enough forces in our world that are bending us towards death at every move, death right now. And in Luke's gospel, Jesus calls this force, whatever has bent this woman, he calls it Satan. He says it's Satan. Satan has bound this woman for 18 years and Satan has bound you two. Those crippling Binding thoughts that bend you over and make you unable to see, Jesus would say is the voice and work of Satan. That crippling spirit, that accusing force, it's that voice, that force that has bent you over, that has bent your spirit. And it's that voice in our society that bends the way we see each other. It's that voice that, 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 that assumes poor people are poor because they're lazy or because they're stupid or because they're unwilling to help themselves. It's that voice that says the, the injustices of our world are because people bring them on themselves. It's that voice that says, as long as I'm not racist, the conversation of race or privilege or power is not worth having. It's that voice, that pressure that forces us and our neighbors to be in competition and accusation so that we have to get more to be safe and to keep others from having enough so that we find security in our, our own well-being. Let's call that satanic. That is satanic. The way Satan bends us and society towards death. Let's call that the, the spiritual forces of wickedness misshaping us and leading us into depression. But the good news today, friends, is that God is that spiritual force, too, that is shaping us toward life. I see it happen. 
I believe it. I see it in you. And, and I see God shaping you and molding you towards life. I hear stories, countless stories from among this church, from you that your marriage fell apart or you lost hope or you lost a job and God just showed up and set up God's wheel and slung you onto it and began molding you back to life. That moment you feel like for the first time in a long time, you can just stand up again. That is God the potter molding you back to life. God countering those satanic forces and saying that you are my daughter, you are my son, you are my child, you are worth everything. If the numbers are right, a third of us today are feeling like like you're barely able to move right now. If you're one of those people today struggling with that kind of crippling spirit, if you're one of those people who who are feeling just bent over by life, there's a few things I want to say. Hear these things today. First, even, even if you don't see God, God sees you. Know that. God sees you and is is seeking to shape you back to wholeness of life. And this is not God's will for your life to be bent over. This is not what God wants to bring upon you. This is not God's punishment on you. You are God's beloved. And what God wants for you is for you to come fully alive. Second, I want you to know that this is a community. This Community, the Kingstown Communion, can be a place where you find that, where you can befriend this God and others who have been molded back to life. And I'll I'll promise you, there are not many places that you can find this. We can help you do that. And finally, I invite you today to continue to to stumble, stumble into the presence of Jesus. And allow this sort of continual encounter with God at God's wheel, which we call worship, to mold you and to shape you and to form you. And and you can start this morning as we, we continue our practice, this Lent of receiving communion. Each week as we offer our Lenten prayer to Jesus, I invite you to meet the God who is spinning the clay who is ready to mold you. And and as God works, listen into that familiar tune. God whistles along as God works. Not today, Satan. Not today. This one, this one, this one here is my beloved. Offer this to you in the name of God the Father, in the name of Christ his son, in the name of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Would you pray with me? God, we gather today, this fourth Sunday of Lent, as people walking with you on this Via Dolorosa, this road to the cross. And we ask, God, that you would sling us on your wheel and begin to shape us, to mold us into the people you would have us be. 
God, fill us and free us and shape us. Whether we are are people who know well the crippling spirit, whether we identify as in the one third of people knowing well that debilitating spirit, or whether we just feel completely bent out of shape and have been looking at the dirt for far too long. God, we give ourselves over to you today. And we ask that you would, would do the work of the potter and mold your clay so that in, in the silence and in the, the music and in the prayers and in the liturgy of this service today that we might begin to breathe and begin to dance. We join now in that prayer that you taught us to pray, Jesus, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. I invite you during this next song into a posture of giving. Know that there are many ways that you can give to our church. You can give on our website by text, through the mail, through Venmo, so that your generosity is this, is this offering, this molding, this shaping by the living God today. There is peace at the table.